0: who don't know my real name, it's actually Emily. Uh, My parents did not give me the name Gunny. Uh, Don't worry about that. Um, So before we jump in tonight, uh, let's pray together. God, I pray that your spirit would just be so present with us, that you would reveal yourself in ways that we could have never imagined, and that we would leave this place changed, and we would hopefully walk with you intentionally and learn to trust you with our lives, to surrender everything, And to ultimately look to you um, in any circumstance. And we love you, Lord. Amen. So for those of you who may know me, you know that I do love to exercise. Uh, Those of you guys who are in my life group can attest to that. Uh, I like to eat healthy. Um, I bring snacks everywhere. I have my string cheese and my yogurt all the time. Um, And so that's just kind of how I like to live my life. And I work out six days a week. I've been doing that for a few years. I was in sports in high school. And that's just kind of how I like to live. But what a lot of you don't know is that when I first got out of high school, uh, I didn't look like that. So when I got out of high school, um, for those of you who've done high school sports or you're in like an activity and uh, you have to be at practice or some kind of like different thing after school, you know that um, when you're like on a break and you don't have to do that, you're like, oh my gosh, there's freedom. I don't have to like, you know, go to anybody to ask them what I need to do to run or whatever. And so for me, when I got out of high school, it was like this newfound freedom. No one's breathing down my neck to tell me to do track workouts. No one's telling me to go lift weights or whatever. It's like I'm a free person, and I'm glad because I don't have to hear anybody tell me to get on the line anymore. But with that freedom, you have to choose uh, kind of what you're going to transition into. And for me, it was really hard to figure out, okay, every day for the past four years, someone has told me, what to do for a workout, how to exercise, all this stuff, and now I'm kind of on my own. So needless to say, um, I didn't do so well because I was now left solo. It wasn't like me doing a workout with the team anymore. I didn't have anyone supporting me. It was just me on my own. So I was like, I'll go to the gym here and there. It doesn't really matter. I felt like I could just kind of get by with like passive choices. And simultaneously, I started working at my first job, which was IHOP, uh, it was a P, IHOP with a P when I started, okay, no no B, um, and there were pancakes and not burgers, um, and there were lots of pancakes for my enjoyment. So when I started working there, uh, I took advantage of the free short stacks. And so not really working out and eating a ton of junk food didn't really mesh well with the uh, you know how I felt before I entered into all of that. So I was having um, junk food maybe three or four times a week, and I work late shifts. So I'd be super hungry and have like a short stack and put ice cream and uh, chocolate chips and frosting and whipped cream on it, and it was like the best thing ever. Right when you're hungry at 10 o'clock. But it's not so good if you want to fit into your jeans. So um, that's what happened to me. I felt like I was making these choices, not really seeing like the consequences of my actions. And I kind of woke up one day feeling like, oh my gosh, like I don't really feel that great about myself. Um, it wasn't like a huge change. But it was something that I didn't anticipate because I wasn't being intentional with the things that I was putting in my body or the things that I was doing. And for a lot of us, when we make passive choices, we end up in places we never intended to be because we weren't planning on being anywhere in the first place. So if I'm going about making decisions of like, oh yeah, sure, I don't care if that's on my Instagram feed, like whatever, or I don't care if that's what's popping up on my social media or my friends are talking about this, like, it probably doesn't make a difference. But in reality, with every decision you make, you're writing the story of your life. So if you wanna live a passive, careless life, You're going to make passive, careless decisions. So my hope is tonight that as we go through this chapter in Colossians, that we can look at how we can be living intentionally because that's really how God wants us to live. He wants us to look at our decisions in the light of what they are because ultimately God tells his people at some point in the Bible, I've set before you life and death, so choose life. And with every decision you make, you have the ability to choose life or choose death, to choose to be closer to God or choose to be farther away from him. And so tonight, we're going to look at how we can avoid that passive living, and how we can enter into this life of intentionality and pursue God. So if you want to turn with me, we're going to start in Colossians 3. And there are a few points um, from this chapter that I think really help us learn how to live intentionally. And the first point, they're on your um, guides on the back, and the first point is, in order to live this intentional God-honoring life, I have an upward gaze. Side note, I really love this version. This is the NLT, the New Living Translation. I think it kind of gives a really cool picture when it says, like, set your sights on the realities of heaven. Um, But what I like about this is that he's saying, don't think about the things that are going on around you. Not in the sense of that they don't matter, but when we get so caught up in what's just going on around us that we forget to look up. We forget to look up and see that Jesus sits at the place of honor at God's right hand. And another, uh, I think it's in Hebrews, that um, uh, the writer of Hebrews kind of adds on to that and says, he who indeed is interceding for us. Interceding means he's coming in between, and we'll look at that in a bit, what that really means. But when I look at this, I think, you know, what, where my focus is so says a lot about what I value. So if I choose to work out every day, if I choose to be healthy, if I choose to read my Bible, that says that I value those things, right? If you are choosing to spend time with your friends more than your family or vice versa, it shows that you value those things. But how many of us in here actually spend a lot of our time doing things that we don't really value? That if I were to ask you, do you really value being on social media for an hour more than having conversation with your friend or your mom or your dad or whoever you'd probably say, no, I actually would value that conversation more. And so why do we do things that we don't want to do that ultimately won't lead us to the place where we want to be? And the reason is that we don't really think about the decisions that we're making. And when we don't make intentional decisions to choose the things of greater value, then we can fall into this trap where we can start making decisions that will ultimately lead us to regret. The biggest example and the best, I think, from the Bible is with David and Bathsheba. And maybe you guys have heard this story before, maybe you haven't, but basically David, the Bible says David is a king, he's a man after God's own heart. That's how they describe him. But the problem is that one season of his life, all the kings are out to battle. It says all the kings go out like they normally do, but David stayed at home. So he chose to stay at home, and then when he's at home, He sees a beautiful woman, and so he calls her to his house, he sleeps with her, he gets her pregnant, and she's actually the wife of one of his generals, his army generals, who's been loyal to him. And so to cover up the pregnancy, excuse me, to cover up what he's done, he has Uriah stand at the front line of the battle to be killed. So he's covering up sin, excuse me, guys, he's covering up sin with more sin, and so, <laughs> I've been sick, like, all week. This is going to be great. Um, <clears throat> so, to cover up his sin, he he does more sin. And so, you think about it. So, uh, the timeline is basically, like, he gets her pregnant, he kills Uriah, and then it says, then he marries Bathsheba to cover up the sin, right? Because then it's like, oh, this is legitimate birth. This is my wife and our child. Um, but then it says at the end of that chapter, chapter, and the thing that David did displeased the Lord. So then Nathan, the prophet at the time, comes to him and tells him, hey, what you've done is despicable on the side of God. And his first response is, I have sinned greatly. And you think about it, if he gets her pregnant and then the child is born, that's a nine-month, at least a nine-month period where he is choosing not to, like, repent of his sin. He had all that time to choose to, like, not kill Uriah or to somehow, um, you know, repent, but he didn't. So how can someone who is so close to God make such poor choices? And the reason is that he wasn't intentional about thinking about the consequences of his decisions. And so many of us kind of go through our lives thinking, well, this decision that I make won't really impact me, maybe 20 years from now, but everything that you do is like adding another chapter to your book, your life story. And someday you're going to have to read through all that. And my prayer is that you wouldn't be ashamed of that, but that you would be proud that you lived an intentional life, thinking about decisions you're making, and living purposely to honor God. So the second point, so the first way to live intentionally is have an upward gaze. When I'm too concerned about what's going on around me, then I forget to look up, and I I do things out of fear and not out of faith. So when I look up, I'm not distracted by the things around me. I have an upward gaze. And the second point is, in order to live this intentional God-honoring life, I make an inward shift. And this, again, is on your notes in front of you. Um, And what I mean by that, making a shift, I kind of think of it as like I'm removing something in me to make room for something else. So when we look at Colossians uh, chapter 3, verse 5, Paul says, So put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you. Have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, and evil desires. Don't be greedy, for a greedy person is an idolater worshiping the things of this world. What I highlighted when I read this was when he says death, so put to death, I started thinking, why would he say such a strong word? He could have just said, don't do these things anymore, just stop, you know, you know better, whatever. But he's saying put to death. So when I think about why he would say that, it's because sin must be really dangerous to us. It might be able to take over our lives. And the problem with that is that in Romans 6-2, Paul also says, since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? And if we don't put these things to death, if something isn't completely dead, then it's still alive. And what I, the analogy that I think of is, um, I'm not really a movie person, Um, I get really excited, I got excited last night when I saw High School Musical 3 was on Netflix, so that kind of tells you my movie taste, it's probably pretty uncultured. Um, But anyway, so uh, I'm not really a movie person, but I did see Star Wars Episode Three, And the last, uh, the end of Star Wars, uh, you know, Anakin is like kind of transitioning to the dark side, right? And he's fighting Obi-Wan and Obi-Wan like cuts off his legs and then he's sort of like thrown onto this like little side hill thing. And then the lava kind of like comes on him and he's like basically singed. Like at the end of it, he's just kind of a crispy nugget, right? (laughs) But the thing that I find the most interesting is that, you know, I forget who he is. What's his name that comes and gets him? Remember the... the Emperor, Pal- Emperor Pal- Palpatine? Palpatine, that guy. So he comes and he's like, he like takes him up and then he basically puts him in a thing and he's Darth Vader now. So what's so interesting to me is that like, you would have thought that he would have been dead, but... He wasn't completely dead. And because he wasn't completely dead, he had the ability to turn into something even more powerful. And the problem with this sin in our lives is that when we're not careful about the decisions we make, we can fall into this trap of thinking, I'll just let this little sin come in. I'll just make decisions. This this sin I can, you know, just kind of let. But the problem with sin is that it never comes solo. It always brings a friend, and it wants to throw a party. So the problem with that is that Paul is saying, if you are in Christ, you've died to your sin, so how can you live in it? The only way you can live in it is if you don't completely kill it. And the fastest way to kill something that's living is to ultimately starve it, right? Um, I'm a biology major, I'm doing my masters at Cal Poly, and when we talk about things that are living, every living thing needs to be fed in order to grow, to thrive, to be at its best. So if you want to starve your sin, if you want to put it to death, You have to not put yourself in places where your sin will be fed. So for me, if I struggle with gossip, then I'm purposely not going to be in situations where I might be tempted to gossip. I'm not going to hang out with that friend group who I know are going to talk bad about so-and-so. I'm not going to post something on social media that might make it seem like I'm making fun of someone else. It's it's things like that, where all of us in here have the ability to fall into this trap of thinking that our decisions don't really matter, and that's where sin creeps in. That's where the enemy creeps into your life. He takes a foothold, and then sin brings a friend, and then it will throw a party, and soon before you know it, you're left feeling this regret. I know that I felt that in my life, and I'm sure many of you have felt the same way. So to avoid that, we need to put to death what's earthly in us, Um, In verse 6, Paul says, Because of these sins, the anger of God is coming. You used to do these things when your life was still part of this world. But now is the time to get rid of anger, rage, malicious behavior, slander, and dirty language. Don't lie to each other, for you have stripped off your old sinful nature and all its wicked deeds. I love that he says, now is the time. If you're in here and you are, you know, Involved in some kind of habit that you want to break. You're looking for some sign to start living a certain way. This is your sign. Paul is saying now is the time to get rid of all these things that you've been holding on to. And to ultimately, what we're going to see in a second, to put on the new nature. I love that he says, and Paul has written a lot of the New Testament. So, you know, we're going back and forth between Romans and Colossians. And we'll go through Corinthians. And he's written all of it. And I think it just flows really beautifully. He says in Romans 6, 12, do not let sin control the way you live. Do not give in to sinful desires. Do not let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. Instead, give yourselves completely to God, for you were dead, but now you have new life. So use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. Sin is no longer your master, for you no longer live under the requirements of the law. Instead, you live under the freedom of God's grace. When I make an inward shift, it means I'm putting to death what's earthly in me, and instead I'm now living under the authority of Jesus in my life. Last point I want to make tonight, and I want to kind of get through this quickly so you guys have time in small groups. This is where we're going to kind of finish. Um, in order to live intentionally, I need to stand on a firm foundation. And this is my favorite part of this. Jesus says in Matthew 7:24, anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise, like a person who builds a house on solid rock Though the rain comes in torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against that house, it won't collapse because it is built on bedrock. In Colossians 3.10, Paul says, put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him. The reason why I think these two fit together well, when Jesus says, anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise, like a person who builds their house on the rock, and then we look at putting on your new nature, being renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him, is because they both fit as Um, one piece to ultimately say, if you want to put on your new nature, you have to listen to his teaching. It's no longer living this life passively or, or kind of making your own decisions or thinking that you can kind of run your own life and it'll be fine. He's saying, anyone who is wise will listen to my teaching, and when you do, you will become more like me, you will learn more about me, and you will get to know me. And my story with this um, started when I was a sophomore in high school. I went to Hume Lake going into my freshman year. And for me, for those of you who have heard this story before, uh, it started out kind of rough. But then at the end of it, I felt like God really changed my heart and kind of gave me some little spark in me. And it was like the beginning of something. But, you know, I tried to rely on my own strength. It didn't have a community, and it kind of fell short again. For those of you who have been to camp before, you get that camp high, and then that's all it is. It's just a high, and then it fades if you have nothing to, to stand on. But for me, when I went on my sophomore year, I'm like, this is going to be a different year. Like, I'm going to be on fire when I come back. And I'm not going to, you know, let it fade. Um, and what's funny was that um, when I got to camp, I realized I'd forgotten my toothbrush uh, and my Bible. So... <laughs> two kind of important things you need at camp. Uh, Don't worry, I did get a toothbrush. um, Don't worry about that. But um, a Bible, I still didn't have. But at that time in my life, I wasn't really reading anyways. Um, And that, again, kind of goes back to this idea of like, oh, if I, uh, when I'm making passive choices, I'm saying like, if I don't read my Bible, it's not really gonna do much. What's it gonna do, 15 minutes a day? Like, how is that really gonna change me? That's kind of my attitude at times. So I would read at night if I read at all, but it wasn't a daily habit. So one of the girls in my cabin, uh, we used to have devotional times before chapel that they would set up at Hume, and so she looked at me, and she's like, oh, do you want to borrow my Bible for devotional time? And I was like, no, why don't I need that? Um, And she's like, well, why not? And I said, well, I don't read my Bible in the morning. And she looks at me, and she's like, do you not have time for God in the morning? And I was like, excuse me, like, don't you tell me how to live my life, (laughs) Um, but What's really interesting was that she read right through me, and that was the attitude of my heart. No, I don't have time for God in the morning. Like, I've got other stuff to do. I'm tired. I don't feel like it. So, if I'm going to read, I'll read when it's convenient for me at night. And from that week, not kidding, it convicted me so much that the day I got back, I've been reading my Bible in the morning every day since that year, and that was in 2010. So every single morning I wake up, it's not even a question of my day. I read my Bible, I spend time in the Word, and at that point in my life I was so hungry for Jesus that it was like, I'll spend 30 minutes in the morning, I'll spend 30 minutes to an hour at night, I don't care if I'm tired because this is, this is it, this is more important to me. And I hate that sometimes in life when we, when we first come to Jesus, we're so hungry for Him, and then we get to places in our lives where He becomes normal where he becomes something that is just regular. It's like, oh yeah, Jesus died for me, so what? And the tragedy in that is that we can go through our whole lives and not really ask ourselves, who is Jesus to me? Who is he to this world? Why does he matter? And tonight I want to invite you to that. If you've, if you've never surrendered your life to Jesus, the Bible says that all of us have woo, fallen short of the glory of God all of us have fallen short we all have sin and sin if you've never heard of sin is basically the thing that separates us from a holy god it's our brokenness it's it's the stuff you see in this world where people are killing each other where people are lying it's that thought that you have of like i don't want my parents to find out about this cuz it's really bad you know that kind of rebellion and the bible says that our sin is actually so great that it's deserving of a spiritual death so Ultimately, what that means is that for every one of us in here, when we die, there are two places where we can go. The Bible says we can either be in heaven with the Lord forever in his presence, where there's no more tears or crying or, or pain or anything, or we'll be in hell. And hell is described in the Bible as a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. Gnashing is referring to this anguish, this frustration and pain and punishment. And that is what our sin deserves. So you guys, when we we talk about our condition, they say, I have sin, that separates me from a holy God. I can't be in a relationship with him. And when I die, that's where I'm going. That kind of makes you like, wow, oh my gosh, that's the reality if you believe that, if you believe that the Bible is the word of God. But God so loved the world that he gave his only son, Jesus, that whoever would believe in him, put their faith in him, would not perish in hell, but have eternal life. And the beauty of Jesus coming is not that he was a good teacher or that he had some good things to say or that you can have a little scripture that comes on your phone every morning and say, oh, sprinkle of Jesus, that's great. It's like, no, he is the lion of Judah. The Bible says in Revelation, he's the lion of Judah, but he's also the lamb that took your sin, he took my sin. And so when we believe that we have this sin, but Jesus came to ultimately come and be the sacrifice for our sin because God said, I want a relationship with you. I don't want you to perish. I want you to have eternal life. So when we believe that Jesus paid for our sin, the Bible says if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead because the grave couldn't hold him, if you believe that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And what you're saved from is this eternal punishment. So when we talk about in church, you'll be saved, Jesus is your savior. It's not like he just saves you from a boring life, which he does, but he saves you from eternal punishment away from him. And that has so much weight. When you, when you start to realize that, when you start to make decisions in light of the fact that Jesus sits at the place of honor, at God's right hand, that he is indeed interceding for you, that changes everything. And that, oh my gosh, that helps you live an intentional life. So when you confess with your mouth that you have sinned, that Jesus is the only payment for your sin, you are now a new creation. In 2 Corinthians 5.14, Paul wrote this too. He says, either way, Christ's love controls us. Since we believe that Christ died for all, we also believe that we have all died to our old life. He died for everyone so that those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ, who died and was raised for them. So we have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. At one time, we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view. How differently we know him now. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun when I put my faith in Christ, I'm now standing on a firm foundation. There's this old hymn that says, on Christ this solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. That whatever decision you make in life, if it is not centered on the fact that you are chasing God, it will leave you in sand. And in that verse that I read about where Jesus says the torrents came and all this wind came, but the house that was built on the rock didn't move. If your house is built on sand, your world is going to be shaken. But when you have a firm foundation, when you keep your eyes fixed on Jesus, when you put to death what's earthly in you, and you you let him be the center of your life, and you stand on the foundation that is his word, you will not be moved. As we finish with verse 11 in Colossians 3, Paul says, in this new life, it doesn't matter if you are a Jew or a Gentile. He's basically saying, it doesn't matter what race you are or where you come from, circumcised or uncircumcised, what you've done or what you haven't done, barbaric, uncivilized, slave or free, Christ is all that matters and he lives in all of us. Since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must close yourselves with tender heart and mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you also must forgive others. Above all, close yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. Guys, that list is really hard to live up to. I don't know about you, but it's hard for me to be gentle and patient and um, always making allowance for each other's faults. If like my friend does something I don't like, to say, that's okay. I'm going to allow some margin so that I can forgive you because God's forgiven me. It's hard to do that, and we can't do that on our own strength. But the only way I can be intentionally living having my feet on a firm foundation is that if I'm walking with Jesus. In the last part of Colossians 3, verse 15 through 17, this is where we end, Paul says, and let the peace that comes from Christ Rule in your hearts. That word rule means to exercise dominating power, dominion, influence, or sovereignty. So if I were to put that in that verse, it says, and let the peace that comes from Christ exercise dominating power, dominion, influence, or sovereignty in your hearts. For as members of one body, you are called to live in peace and always be thankful. But the message about Christ, everything that I've just shared, the fact that he came and he died and he rose again, for your sins, because he loved you so much that he wanted a relationship with you. Let that message and all its richness fill your lives. That word for fill in another translation says dwell. And dwell means to live in or stay as a permanent resident. I love that. So let the message about Christ and all its richness live in or stay in you as a permanent resident. Don't ever let it leave you teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom he gives, sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts, and whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. At the end, he says, whatever you do, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus. And if I'm making passive choices with my life, not really thinking about the consequences of my actions, I'm not doing that in a manner worthy of Jesus. But when I decide to be intentional with my life, intentional with my decisions, weighing, is this going to bring me closer to God or farther from him? Is this going to bring him glory or is this going to bring me glory? When I weigh those options and like God says to the Israelites, choose life or death, I've laid it before you. When you choose life, you're going to live a life story that you're proud to share. I'm going to live a life story that I'm proud to share. Because again, with every decision you make, you're writing the story of your life, and someday you're going to have to look back and read it, and I pray that you would not feel ashamed, but that you would feel proud that you made the hard decisions, because sometimes living intentionally means sacrificing the things that we want. But when you live in light of eternity, that um, they, they play this clip, Glenn likes to play this clip a lot from Gladiator, where he says, one of the uh, generals, He's I, you guys would probably know him. I'm battle at movies, so I don't know his name, yes, that him. Um, he says, what we do in this life echoes in eternity. So what you do in this life, whether for good or bad, um, you know, that is going to affect the people around you. But whether you're good or bad doesn't affect whether you're in heaven or hell. It's whether or not you believe that Jesus is the payment for your sins. And so as we close tonight, I know it seems like well, how can I possibly always make good decisions? The fact is that we won't. David didn't. Even Peter denied Jesus. Peter was, like, so close with Jesus. He was, like, in his inner circle, and yet he still denied him, and he said, "I, I put a curse on me if I know the man. Um, and he, it says he wept bitterly when he realized what he had done. But Jesus still came to him after that and asked him three times, the same amount of times that he denied him. He said, Peter, do you love me? And so he gave him that chance for redemption, and tonight, if you feel like you've messed up so far that it's, it's no longer worth it to turn your life around to make good choices, I promise you, you have not done enough that you are outside of his reach, and you can still live a life that is worth sharing someday, because he can redeem you. Sin may have consequences that you may have to live with, but he's going to walk with you through the whole way. And so, let's pray together, and then we'll go into small groups. Lord, I pray that you would just infiltrate our lives and help us remove the things that aren't honoring to you so that we can live intentionally, so we don't have to make decisions that are ultimately going to lead us to regret, but that we can honor you with what we say, what we do, um, and we can lead people to you. In your name, amen.
1: Amen. Wow. Guys, give it up for Annie. Come on. Goodness. Man, hit me right in the heart, right in the feels. Oh, wow. What a great message about how to live with intentionality. Um, well, we're about to break into small groups, you guys. If you this is your first time or you don't know where to go, we have a small group for you. We have a leader who is especially here for you. Uh, the only or two notes that I have is um, Nicole Easton's small group, there it is, Nicole Easton's small group are going to be meeting with Chloe today, tonight, just like last week. Nicole Easton's group... There she is, right there, she's awesome. Um, and the other thing is, you need, need, need to have, if you're going to camp, which is probably all of you, uh, you need to have the Tioga release form filled out. It's a paper form, we don't have it online. You need to. If you don't have one, pick them up, they're in the back, I, I can hand them out to you, and you need to get those filled out. Bring them uh, to check in on Monday or Sunday, which would be even better. Um, but that's it. So. Go to your small groups to get your forms in. Come see me if you if you uh, don't know where you're going.